You're listening to the Paradox Church Podcast. Paradox Church is a Jesus-centered community where our motto is, Come as you are, no perfect people allowed. For more information about our service times, location, and to get connected with us, please visit our website at www.paradoxchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. It's been a crazy week. Even right now, I feel like I just have to stop and slow down, catch my breath a little bit, because uh, the pace that everything has been moving at has just been absolutely insane. I, I mean, I'm trying to catch up and, and stay up to date on things, but not only are things seeming to change day by day, it seems like this past week, everything has been changing on a moment-by-moment basis. I mean, from event and sport cancellations to schools being closed, and it's all happening at 11 o'clock p.m. for some reason, you know? Um, Gatherings have have been banned in so many places. Grocery store shelves are empty, and stocks are dropping, and all of this combines to just leave you feel a little bit out of control. Things seem so uncertain, and this word keeps being tossed around right now, unprecedented. And it rings true for so many of us. I know it does for me because this doesn't feel like anything we've ever lived through or experienced before. It's truly unprecedented. And in unprecedented times, in unprecedented situations, we have this tendency, it's natural, to feel very uncertain about the future. We don't know what's going to happen from a day to day or tomorrow or even really in the next few moments and hours. And that can be very, very scary. I remember just uh, talking about this with my kids the other day. They came home from, from uh, school on Thursday, and I don't, know, I don't know where they get this stuff, asking Siri or asking friends or something. They're, my kids are giving me updates. They're like, did you know that three coronavirus cases have now been identified or something? I'm like, where? Where do you even get this stuff from? But we're talking over this stuff, and, and they're, they're disappointed at the things that are being canceled. Jenna is talking about her science Olympiad that's been canceled, and Joshua, you know, oh, man, it... it you know things have gone too far when Monster Jam, of all things, gets canceled. He was bummed. I was, let's be honest. I was bummed mostly about that, but that's canceled. And then we have school being canceled for the next several weeks. And I remember sitting around the dinner table talking about all this stuff, dealing with, you know, people are starting to get upset and frustrated. My kids had to calm me down. But really, we had this moment where I actually I said to them, you know, listen, every one of us has been affected by this. In, in some way. But it's up to us to choose how we're going to respond to that. And that's one of those moments where things get quiet. Because as, as that sets in, I'm, it's setting in for me too. And I have to ask myself, do I actually believe what I'm saying to my kids? Is that true for me? Because amidst the voices that are surrounding us, from all angles, at all times, telling us either the end is, is near or this is all BS and you don't have anything to worry about, go along your, your daily business, it is difficult for us to, to figure out how we are supposed to respond. What are we supposed to do? And I want to share a perspective here, especially as a follower of Jesus, that our filter for all of this is not the same as many other people's in the world. Romans 12, 2 actually says it this way. Do not be conformed to this world. 
That word conform, right? That was, that was a bad word when I was in high school. Nobody wanted to conform. What it meant was that you're different than everybody else. You wanted to look different, be different, act different. You did not want to be a conformist. And the Bible actually says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. You'll know what to do. What is God good and acceptable and perfect? Don't be conformed. Don't act like everyone else, the Bible instructs us. And how are so many people acting and feeling right now? Afraid. Afraid. We're allowing our voice, our, our, our minds to be controlled in, in many ways by so many different voices. And that where peace actually comes from is going, now wait a minute. I don't want to act like everyone else because I don't know that I want to believe what everyone else believes. See what everyone else is seeing. Don't be conformed. When we allow our mind to be controlled by God's truth, that actually will change our behavior. So how do we live lives that are not afraid, especially when everything and everyone around us is terrified, is feeling out of control? And we may have those feelings, and it's natural to have those feelings. We may have those feelings inside of ourselves as well. It seems like there's two extreme options. The first one is to be afraid. Be very afraid, right? And so many are opting for that response right now because it seems so natural and even so logical. There's another one. Ignore this. Put your head in the sand. Go about your business, right? And that extreme can feel dangerous, to so many. So how do we live in this tension where there's fear all around us and when we're told, don't conform, don't be afraid like everyone else? We're entering into a series here together this morning called Anxious for Nothing. And it's based on this scripture in Philippians 4 that says, do not be anxious about anything, anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends and surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do not be anxious for anything. Anxious for nothing. Anxiety is this feeling that we all get. We all experience it in some way. And it usually comes from this place of trying to control things that we have no control over. And we're called in Philippians to not be anxious about anything, to actually live lives that are unafraid, if you can imagine that. And living a life that's not afraid looks very different right now than the lives that many, if not most, are living. I want to share three ways with you this morning uh, where, the, where the way of Jesus will make you look and feel different than everyone else around you right now. Here's the first way. We are called to be sacrificial not selfish. We're sacrificial, not selfish. I, my my, my newsfeed on, on my Facebook and everything has been filled with pictures of grocery store shelves. Every single one of them are empty, and usually it's followed up with someone's commentary about this. Man, it's a sad world that we live in. How can people be this selfish? This is crazy. It's, it's out of control, right? People begging, pleading with others, think of other people. Don't just be selfish. Don't grab and hoard. Be a good human are all things that I've, I've read over the past couple days. 
But there's this thing that rises up in us, right? It's almost like a fight or flight deal where everything is going crazy around us and there's something that rises up where self-preservation becomes the most natural response. We think of ourselves first. It's just what it means to be human. It's natural. But to help others, to think about someone else first, that, that is actually supernatural. We're seeing firsthand what is inside of our own hearts as, as people, as a society, and what that, what, when what's inside of our heart comes out, what that actually does and how it impacts society. Again, just this morning, I was reading hurting, angry posts from people that are in need, people that are living paycheck to paycheck, going, what are we supposed to do now? We can't even get the most basic of necessities. And I'm reminded again in Philippians 2, verse 3 to 4, it says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That sounds like one of those idealistic pie-in-the-sky type verses. But can you imagine if we didn't just read that this morning, but we actually started to practice it? Can you imagine if that were true? What if everyone looked not only to their own interests, but the interests of other people, counted others as more important than themselves? How would our response to all of this be different? What would our world look like? I'll give you a hint. I think it would look a lot more like heaven. We're sacrificial, not selfish. Why? So that other people can find help. That's why we do it. See, the early church actually did this. In Acts 2, verse 44 to 45, it says, All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings voluntarily. There was no government that was telling them that they had to do this or taking taxes. There was a group of people, a family, that loved each other so much, that were committed to each other so deeply that they voluntarily said, you know what, I want to help you out. I want to make sure that you're okay. You are just as important, no, maybe even more than me. And so we're going to do whatever we can, selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That is actually what the church has always done. That is how the church has always responded and been called to respond. Why? Because we have a God that actually runs into pain. It's illustrated for us in no more perfect way than in Jesus himself, who came from heaven to earth into our mess, our brokenness, though he did not have to, for us. Our God runs into problems. Our God runs into pain. So as followers of Jesus, we are called to do exactly the same. When everyone else is running this way in the direction of self-preservation, sometimes maybe even selfishness, followers of Jesus run the opposite way. We are called to be selfless, not selfish. When we follow Jesus, we're driven more by the needs of others than we are our own need. And I'm, I've got to say, we have an amazing team here at Paradox Church that I get the privilege of, of seeing and, and being with and working with uh, just firsthand. As we started to talk um, in the middle of this week about everything that was going on and how we were going to respond, um, we, we had barely made the decision 
about what we were going to do here today before the entire team's thoughts started turning to others. And we started asking these questions. How can we help? How can we reach outside of our walls? What's going on out there that, that we can actually reach into and make a difference in? Not just take care of our own selves, but take care of the people in our community. Maybe people like, like some of you who we've never even met before. What if the church actually benefited those outside of the walls more than those inside of the wall? If you need help, if you know of someone who needs help, again, we're compiling that database. We're, we're ready, ready and willing to go. Grocery shopping, food, supplies, emergency childcare. Please email us. Let us know. Info at paradoxchurch.com. Or maybe you have an idea for something that we can do, a way that we can serve and love others. Send us that as well. E- email or post it on that Facebook group. This, this is our time. The church has historically thrived, if you can believe it, in times of pain, in times of persecution. Why? I believe it's this, because we're forced to actually follow Jesus. We're forced to actually be the church. And what that looks like is not living like everyone else. It looks different than our natural response. It's stark. There's a contrast. And when everyone else sees something that different, what happens? People start to want what we have. Acts 2, 46 to 47 goes on to say this, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Some of you are doing that right now. It may not be bread, but you're having eggs, pancakes, coffee in house churches. It's so awesome. We get to do what the church has always done. Breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. And look what happens. Praising God, having favor with all the people. This is in the midst of intense persecution, by the way. Christians were being found, dragged onto the street, and killed for what they professed and what they believed. All the while, they're praising God, having favor, and the Lord is adding to their number day by day those who are being saved. When people live differently, it has this way of bringing others in. There's something attractive about that. We live by faith and not by fear. That's the second point. When we live by faith, not by fear, that looks different. That is attractive. Fear always comes from what you see around you. But faith, faith on the other hand is living by what you don't see. John 14, 1, this is Jesus talking. And Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I love that first part. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't let it happen, Jesus says. There's something that's going to be very tempting going on. You're going to want to do it. It's going to be natural, but fight against it. Don't let your heart be troubled. Now, I want to be careful to say that, listen, it's not wrong to have feelings of fear. Again, it's very natural. Jesus is saying that he doesn't want us living from a place of fear. There will be scary things. We will have feelings of fear, but is that the place that we live from? Does fear control our decisions and our actions? Is it fear or facts? Or what about this? Faith. Does faith control our actions and our decisions? I find it interesting in the same verse that the prescription for a troubled heart, right? Don't let your heart be troubled. Instead, believe. The prescription for a troubled heart is actually belief. The opposite of fear is faith. 
Now, here's what I'm not saying, right? Because every single one of us knows somebody that it seems like everything's going wrong and and they just want to walk into a room and go, well, we're just going to have some faith. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I even sat in a meeting this past week where someone from from a church uh, said, well, we're not really worried about all of this stuff. We've got a big God and... We're going to keep on going forward. No, there are those that don't seem to be reacting at all. They're not worried. They're not anxious because they're not really even thinking about it, it seems. They don't even seem to to know what we're all talking about because they're just not worried. They're not afraid. They have faith. Listen, I I don't want to call anyone stupid here, but... If, if you've ever seen this, felt this, or, or experienced this, I want to tell you, faith is not synonymous with stupid. Faith is not synonymous with stupid. If you were invited over to someone's house for dinner and you weren't feeling well, here's what I guarantee you as a normal, reasonable, caring person would do. You would call up the person and say, hey, I'm not feeling well. I'm not going to be able to make it. Now, imagine the person on the other end of the phone in that moment saying, where's your faith? Come on, you should get over here, right? Have a little bit of faith. No, quite the opposite, right? That is not what we would do at all. We would find that very loving and appropriate response to the facts that were going on in our world. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, though, says this, when it strikes a balance between fear, but then also living with faith in the midst of the same circumstances, It says, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. That final word, self-control, there's other translations that say a sound mind, sound judgment. Faith is not being stupid. Faith means exercising power and love and a sound mind, sound judgment. It means following the wisdom right? There's been plenty of wisdom that's given, been given to us by the World Health Organization and the Centers for Disease Control. It's stuff like this. Avoid large gatherings. Check. We're doing that. Wash your hands. Check. We're going to do that. We're going to follow the wisdom that's being handed to us. And the Bible is actually full of wisdom. There are books upon books of wisdom literature that's been passed down from generation to generation that we would do well to live by and observe. Wisdom is a good thing. Faith does not mean ignoring wisdom. It does mean recognizing that there's more. It means recognizing the limit of wisdom and saying, that is true and there also might be more. That's the posture that we live by when we say we live by faith, not fear. We live by faith so that other people can find hope. When we operate from faith, Instead of fear, it actually leads us to be loving, not selfish. Fear leads to self-preservation. It's natural, which leads to selfishness. Faith, on the other hand, enables us to have hope, which leads us to be loving and selfless because we, have, we know there's something more than only the wisdom of the world. And that leads us to the third thing we're able to do. We shine the light. We don't hide it. There's this quote by an author. His name is Rob Bell. It says, why blame the dark for being dark? It's far more helpful to ask why the light isn't as light as it should be. And I'm going to be honest with you. This is a dark time. It's a scary time. It's an uncertain time. But it's in the darkest of times 
when the light is actually needed the most. The light always shines brightest in the dark. There are people right now that are in need of help, that are in need of hope. And as followers of Jesus, as a church, this is our time to shine. This is our time to shine. It's not an inconvenience. It's not an opportunity for us to hide, hold back, wait for it to blow over. No, we press on. We press in. We engage in this time. Why? Because in dark, there's the greatest opportunity to shine bright. That's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16, when he says, You are the light of the world, not the government. Not any, any cure for anything. It's, no, it's us. We are the light of the world. A city on a, sil, on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. There's, there's no if, and, or but. There's no circumstances ascribed here. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We shine the light, not just when things are good, especially when things are bad, when things are scary, when things are dark. We shine the light. We don't hide it. Why? So that others can find a home. This, this verse, this, this anxious thing, right? Living unafraid, without anxiety, isn't just about how we feel. It's not even just this opportunity, right? This circumstances around us aren't just about ourselves and our, our, our safety. What if God is actually doing something bigger in this? What if what the enemy intends for evil, intends for death, intends for fear, intends for confusion, God is actually doing something else, something better, something bigger. He intends it for good. It is impossible for us to love other people in isolation, it's impossible to shine a light brightly when we're in hiding. One of my favorite places in the world is actually Cape Hatteras, North Carolina. And I always, I can't even say those words without thinking of the lighthouse that is there. It's this big black and white swirly lighthouse. Um, and what the purpose of a lighthouse, right? As I think about shining our light, the purpose of this lighthouse is to do a whole lot of things. It shines light into darkness and exposes places of danger, places that will shipwreck you, places that will sink you. And it also guides the way home for so many. It lights up the darkness and illuminates danger and, and says, this is the way. Go this way. Don't go anywhere. Look, follow the light. This is the way to safety. This is the way home. And for many of us right now, this is the time to come home. Jesus continued in John 14, verses 1 to 6. You heard this first part before, where, it's, where Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Why? So that so many people will be able to find a home. Verse 2 says, In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And maybe today is your day to come home. 
You've been out there. Whether or not you've been home before, you've known Jesus, maybe it's been a long time or maybe today is the first time. Trying to live on our own, make it on our own, feel okay on our own, leads us to uncertainty, leads us to scary places, fear, not knowing what's going to happen next, not knowing that we're going to be okay, either in this, this life or the next. But Jesus says, you do know the way. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to try to make it on your own. You don't have to wa- wander blindly, blindly, aimlessly in the dark anymore. Look at me. Follow me. Find your peace in me because I am your home. There is no rest for our souls until our souls find rest in him. And that's the offer of Jesus today. It's not just about whether or not we're afraid. It's not just about doing good things. It is about looking towards our home in Jesus and saying, I've got my eyes fixed on you. And that confidence, the confidence that comes with looking to him, following him, and finding security, safety, certainty in Jesus, something that can't be replaced. It's what 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 to 9 says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but we are not destroyed. I just want to pray that over us today and challenge us, every one of us, this week to pray and ask God, how can we help others? How can we find help, hope, and find a home this week? Would you pray with me? Father God, tonight, today, I just want to pray for every single person that may be feeling afflicted, God, as so many of us are. Father, I pray that we would not be crushed. To those that are perplexed, confused, wondering what to do, God, would we not be driven to despair? Those that are feeling persecuted, God, ridiculed, made fun of, God, I pray that we would know that you are with us. You never leave us. You will never forsake us. And those that are struck down, God, that are, he- that are in need of healing, that are in need of help and hope, God, would it not destroy them? I pray that you would bring help and hope and a home to every person hearing my voice right now this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Paradox Church Podcast. If you want more information about us or to just get connected, please visit our website at www.paradoxchurch.com. We would love to hear from you.